Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Trenaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Today, we'll provide updated thoughts based on new data on the stock market, the real estate market, the inflationary environment, and the employment situation to give you an overall picture of where we stand now and where we're headed. Throughout our podcasts, we try to filter out the drama in the news cycle to present a clear picture of underlying trends, since trends do not change nearly as quickly as talking heads in the media compete to find the newest shiny object to present, regardless of its relevance or even its significance. Let's start with the stock market, the big picture. The S&P 500 is up 8.9% so far in 2023, or 9.7% if you include dividends. But the lion's share of that increase is due to the surging prices of a very few of the largest companies. Just a few stocks control the stock market indices. The big five that are responsible for the vast majority of the stock market's 2023 gains are Apple, which is up 36% this year, Microsoft, up 37%, Alphabet, up 39%, Amazon, up 44%, and the current stock market darling NVIDIA, which has surged 159% on the AI-related excitement. Without them, the overall market, including dividend payments, would be up just 1.5% this year. And that's according to data provided by Howard Silverblatt, who is a senior index analyst at S&P Dow Jones Indices. If you also remove the contributions from the two other largest tech companies, Meta, which is up 120% this year, and Tesla up 66%, the Standard & Poor's 500 would be slightly underwater for the year. These stock market leaders are reflective of the 2000-2001 setup just before the stock market bust that occurred then that ultimately dropped both the S&P and the NASDAQ indices as much as 50%, within a year or so. Today, the newest shiny object may be AI or artificial intelligence. Following the hype on AI may prove dangerous to your financial health. As the media continues to hype NVIDIA and related AI stocks, you should consider that the large institutional investors may well not only not be buying these stocks, but are selling into this hype. For example, I do know one of the highest performing private equity funds I prefer not to call out the name publicly, but this large private equity firm has recently sold significant amounts of shares in Apple and NVIDIA while adding to their short positions in Microsoft and some of the other high-tech companies. This is not an exception to information that I've seen over the past weeks and months. Those of you who are technical chartists and you look at bar charts and other tools can see that as Apple and NVIDIA in particular have been reaching new highs, there is a large amount of selling. So I would 
not want to be one of the members of the public, one of the smaller shareholders, thinking that I'm following what could be a long-term trend and buying these companies at these levels, given that a lot of the price-earnings ratios are between 40 and 125 to 1, which is historical. And you really have to go back to the 2000-2001 dot-com bust to see a setup that looks close to what we're looking at today. Let's go to real estate. San Francisco is imploding before our very eyes in ways that are both terrifying and memorable and wholly different every day. First, in San Francisco, it was commercial real estate. At 30%, the city has the highest office vacancy rate in the United States. Recently, even skyscrapers have sold at fire sale prices of 70 to 80% off the purchase price, and even in the best case, a 71% discount from prices that existed only a few years ago is probably as good as it gets today. Of course, it's not just commercial real estate. Residential is just as bad, with home prices in San Francisco now tumbling double digits year to year. And in Seattle, home prices are plunging even faster. While we do expect the implosion of residential housing prices to accelerate, it's really commercial real estate where the huge so-called ticking neutron bomb is to be found. And according to the latest horror story out of San Francisco's commercial real estate market, the owner of two of San Francisco's biggest hotels, the Hilton San Francisco Union Square and the Park 55, has stopped making mortgage payments and plans to give up the two properties. As the San Francisco Chronicle recently reported, Park Hotels and Resorts said that it stopped making payments on $725 million of loans that were due in November, handing over the keys to the property to the creditors, and expects the ultimate removal of these hotels from its portfolio. The company said it would work in good faith with the loan servicers to determine the most effective path forward. And to quote Thomas Biltmore Jr., who's the CEO of Park Hotels, Quote, after much thought and consideration, we believe it is in the best interest for Park's stockholders to materially reduce our current exposure to the San Francisco market. Now more than ever, we believe San Francisco's path to recovery remains clouded and elongated by major challenges, both old and new. He also mentioned that this statement could be applicable to many other U.S. major cities, although he didn't name them. The 1921-room Hilton is San Francisco's largest hotel, and the 1,024-room Park 55 is the fourth largest, and together they account for about 9% of the city's hotel stock. The hotels could potentially be taken over by lenders or sold to a new group as part of the foreclosure process, although it's unclear who'd want to put even $1 of equity into a property that will more than likely default within a few years. All of this because there's no easy solution to San Francisco's long list of challenges, which is not only a record high office vacancy of around 30%, but also concerns over street conditions, a lower rate of return to office space compared to other cities, and a weaker than expected citywide convention calendar through 2027 that will negatively impact business and leisure demand. Park Hotels also said that San Francisco's convention-driven demand is expected to be 40% lower between now and 2027, 
versus the pre-pandemic average. San Francisco Travel, the city's convention bureau, expects Moscone Center conventions to account for over 670 hotel room nights this year, which is higher than 2018's 660,000, but way below 2019's record 967,000. And weaker convention attendance is projected each year through 2030. On the benefit side for park hotels and resorts, they expect to save over $200 million in capital expenditures over the next five years by giving up those hotels. And they also plan to issue a special dividend to their shareholders of $150 to $175 million. So this is a very well planned, very well thought out, and it's part of a multi-year strategic evaluation of San Francisco, I'm sorry to say. Let's move to some of the economic reports more generally over the past two weeks. I would call your attention to a small company that is the founder and owner, Danielle DiMartino Booth. I've mentioned her in a prior podcast at least twice. She's the founder of a company, Quill Intelligence, Q-U-I-L-L Intelligence. She worked directly in the Federal Reserve for almost 10 years, and she focuses on Federal Reserve policy evaluation as well as economic evaluation. On our SoundCloud account, I am providing the links. I would suggest you may check out her homepage, which is https colon forward slash forward slash quillintelligence, one word, dot com forward slash. But specifically, she was interviewed on one of the media channels, and that link to her interview is also posted. But effectively, where we are is about 62% of Americans who have bought homes across the United States in the past two or three years are seriously struggling to make their mortgage payments. And that's in an environment where home prices are declining and interest rates, particularly those who are on adjustable rate mortgages, who are facing very substantial increases, which translates into substantial increases in monthly payments. Additionally, she has pointed out, which I'm going to mention uh, before we close, today one more time, that approximately 30% of the employment that is reported by the Bureau of Labor Statistics is coming from an adjustment that they make. And this adjustment is called the birth-death adjustment, which sounds sort of terrible, but I'll explain in a minute what it is. But the birth-death adjustment is particularly questionable now during a period where bankruptcies are climbing. So I just gave you a hint. The birth-death adjustment is a guesstimate about how many new companies are being formed and how many new employees these new companies are being hired. And this is data that is so far out of the statistics. So it is an adjustment that the Bureau of Labor Statistics just applies on a wholesale overall basis to all the data they do collect. And it's becoming a very large part of the employment report. So said in plain words, the amount of employment that's being reported is highly suspicious. I suspect it's not really accurate if 37% of that is coming from this one adjustment. But if you would check out the video link that I had mentioned, which we are posted, and Quill Intelligence, you'll find out that her website may be a good long-term source for you to check in, again, without subscribing on a free basis. The subscription prices range to some pretty healthy large amounts, so I'm not suggesting that, but the free information on the website may be worth your time. So overall, if we move back to the bigger picture of the global trends, 
Germany has now officially declared it's in recession. And as I've mentioned before, when recession is officially declared, it means that the country has actually been in recession at least two prior quarters by the time they declare it. And that's the same in the United States. So by the time the United States would declare a recession, that means we will have been in a recession for at least two quarters plus a bit more time. It's really kind of a late indicator. It's a late admission. But in any event, expect the majority of Western European countries to follow Germany into declaring recession. Additionally and negatively, inflation continues to run close to 10% in the United Kingdom, with a number of European countries reporting even higher rates. Oil price stability may soon give way to substantially higher prices as Saudi Arabia a week or so ago made a new round of voluntary cutbacks and they've announced that's their intention to increase global prices. And given the fact that China continues to grow as a major oil importer, moving back to its pre-pandemic levels, I expect oil prices to begin to increase pretty soon. And I'm in pretty good company. Some respected oil analysts now are forecasting a doubling or tripling of oil prices over the next year, which seems dramatic. But even an increase from $70 back to $100 a barrel would create a new round of global inflation. Inflation so far has been tempered in the United States as a recessionary global economy, and and read that as lower levels of non-oil imports and exports, have created a surplus of shipping containers and a surplus of cargo ships. There's no surplus of natural gas carriers and oil transport ships, but the cargo cargo ships are becoming pretty plentiful. So the Baltic Dry Index and other indices have dropped substantially reflecting lower non-energy imports. And this scenario has dropped transportation costs as many ships are looking to be deployed. But increasing oil prices over the next year will again inflate global and local transportation costs But more importantly, maybe we'll have a significant impact on manufacturing costs. For example, fertilizers for food production, plastics in about everything, fuels for cars, trucks, airlines, and and much more. On the money side, the U.S. Treasury is expected to issue over $1 trillion of government debt between now and year end. And given that historically large foreign government buyers have turned to sellers in recent years of U.S. debt, This volume of debt issuance should keep interest rates on an upward trend, particularly given the expectation that the Federal Reserve is following a quantitative tightening plan and has no appetite to continue as the major purchaser of new U.S. debt, which is a role they served in for many years prior to this year. Again, coming back to the birth-death, U.S. employment is reported as strong, but as I just mentioned, I don't accept this conclusion given the overriding of the politically determined birth-death adjustment. And essentially, the birth-death adjustment is a rough estimate of the number of new companies that have been formed and the number of new employees who have been hired by these new companies. So the new companies are not in the data The new employees assumed to be hired by the new companies are not in the data. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics, in brief, makes a guess about how many new employees have been hired that are not really in the employment data. And this amount has become so large, I think this may be near a record assumption historically, but in the 
Strong employment numbers is 37% of that total being reported by this birth-death adjustment. So I think the strength in employment, particularly full-time employment, as employment also covers part-time, I think is overblown. So all in all, as we discussed for the past year or so in our podcasts, we are now in a stagflation environment. And the stagflation environment is leading to a significant recession. And a part of the reason that this recession is becoming so real so fast is linked to Europe already being in recession and energy prices officially on the path to being manipulated upward. And that's given that the United States at some point needs to begin replacing its strategic petroleum reserve that the administration sold over the past several months to keep a damper on oil and gas prices. So the good days are pretty much over in some respect, and paying the piper is coming up in my view. So be careful, stay safe, don't take financial risks, and don't be swayed by the recent stock market increases that have been essentially provided by less than 10 companies that are trading at record price earnings ratios. Take care. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.